the way you get known is you be helpful, I think. I really truly believe that. Be helpful. Help the people understand your point of view. Help them to understand how to enact whatever it is that you're teaching them, you know? Welcome to the Content 10X Podcast. 10X Podcast. The show where content creators learn how to harness the power of content repurposing. And now, your host, Amy Woods. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Content 10X Podcast. This week is a guest interview and I have Matt Pierce who is joining me today. Now Matt is the learning and video ambassador from TechSmith Corporation and he has created videos for learning and marketing for over a decade. He's the lead behind TechSmith Academy and Camtasia Certification Program and the host of the Visual Lounge. Now we're going to be talking a lot more about that in this episode. It focuses on creating better images and videos and how they can be used in business for learning and communicating. Now, Matt has been a speaker at multiple learning and development focused and marketing conferences, both in the US, UK, Germany, and of course, recently as well, digitally. Um, TechSmith is behind some awesome tech, such as Camtasia, Snagit, Screencast, Audio. such a great company. Matt is such a great person. Really looking forward to this interview. So Matt, welcome to the show. I mean, thank you so much for inviting me. We absolutely love working with you guys on uh, the Visual Lounge. It was an honor actually to be on it recently as well. So thank you for having me on. Um, and we're going to kind of dig into that and so much more. So it's great to have you. But first, um, what did I miss from the intro? Is there anything that I should have said that I didn't? No, that was it was super well done. And I, I think it encapsulates quickly the things that I do. I mean, uh, I've been doing this for quite a long time. And, uh, you know, it's it's exciting to see the progress video has made in the last 10, 15 years. I think we've come a long way in opportunities and I'm excited to be on kind of that journey, helping other people to see that value as well. Oh, you really do help people, you know, the the content that you create and what you're doing with TechSmith um, Academy and everything. It's absolutely fantastic. Um, so we first met you guys when you reached out to us about the Visual Lounge and you were looking for some support with, you know, the managing and the, the repurposing and the content thereafter. Um, and it's been a great journey that we've gone on with you guys and we've just loved seeing the Visual Lounge come to life and everything that you're doing with it. Um, could you just tell um, anyone listening who hasn't heard of Visual Lounge, many people will, and the millions of listeners that you get every single um, week, but um, just explain a bit about what that, that show is and what you do with the Visual Lounge. Yeah, so I, I, let, me, let me go back just to give a little context. So when the pandemic hit, we had this immediate need where we said, we need to reach out to people. Events are being canceled. We don't have kind of some of the same touch points that we had. I mean, we have emails and kind of our typical marketing stuff, but we felt this kind of like desire to get out information, particularly about communicating remotely because everyone all of a sudden found themselves working from home and different challenges. And all of a sudden you couldn't go into the office and communicate. And we said, well, let's start live streaming every week and just start sharing really good best practices just to help people. And as we did that, we said, oh, hey, this is really great content, but we're only ever getting it onto YouTube as a live stream. So what can we do? And we had been kicking around the idea of a podcast for probably a couple of years. I'd kept, you know, every once in a while I'd drop the kind of the hint, like we should do a podcast. We should do a podcast. And um, I'd done some uh, podcasts on my own kind of personal podcast. One about like, I called it the backstory project. It was like this interview, like, how'd you get to where you are today? I started this really crazy one that was called five trainers in a car, which was literally getting people in a car at a conference 
and driving around and recording the conversation. Um, and so I had experience with podcasts, but it was just like, we knew we needed to do something. We said, this is a great opportunity. And, and so out of what we were doing a live stream that didn't have a name, we we're just going live is we said, let's turn this into our first part of our podcast premise is that we're going to do a couple things. We're going to interview people that are, are smart, wise experts in the area about, usually we're going to tie it into creating images, creating visuals, because that's what our company tools do. Um, and then we also said, let's provide other kind of informational type topics. Like, you know, we might talk about how to record better audio or record aud an audio for first workflow for your videos, because those are things that we don't create tutorials about that process. And we wanted to make sure we we're covering those and we could have some organic conversations. We could take questions, which we really think is kind of a, a nice piece to go live as you get audience interaction otherwise. And when we, when we said, well, let's just, it's like, well, it's a big investment to do the work. How do we make sure we get the most out of it? And that's, I mean, that's why we, we wanted to work with you is because it's like, if I'm going to do this every week and it's only ever going to be just a, a video on YouTube, that's okay. But we saw the potential that content and the value there and said, let's, let's really just blow this up and make it so much more. And it's been, it's been really awesome. Yeah, it was, a, and it was a big decision, I guess, to do live. So to actually go forward and do a live stream. Um, what was the thought process there? I'm sure you were playing around with, should we pre-record these videos or should we go live? So why did you decide to go the live route? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. And it's one that I think we still kind of sometimes question whether it's, it's the right or the best decision. But one of the big drivers is it puts it on the calendar. It, it is a hard, firm date of saying, we are going to do this um, without a huge commitment, right? Like, it's not like I'm trying to batch 12 of these things together to do them all and get them done. And then I can sit for a couple of weeks. It's like every if I just go live every week, I have the habit, I have kind of, I know when it's gonna be, I can I can plan that out, kind of every, all the other activities around that. And it just makes, it forces us. The other thing is we aren't, we weren't super concerned about it being uh, polished perfect, right? Like we didn't have to have something that was absolutely the best and super high quality. We wanted something that felt authentic. It was a real conversation. Um, and so that way we, we were like, you know, even at the beginning, you know, we might start and then we, pause and stop because we made a mistake. Well, we, we just say like, if we make a mistake, we're just going to press forward. We know it's, it's, yeah, maybe it's not the best, but it feels very natural. It feels very real. So some of the, those were some of the considerations. Um, there's also a draw to have a live audience, right? From a YouTube perspective, from a Facebook and LinkedIn perspective, we multicast to those locations. And now we're, we're getting those interaction points as well as the pre-recorded content. Um, now, just recently, actually, we did introduce another segment of the same podcast where internally we call it our jam sessions because there's Justin, Andy, and Matt. Uh, so the three of us, we've been having these weekly conversations that are, are a little bit smaller and pre-recorded and still part of the visual lounge, but we decided it's kind of like a series within the, the, the umbrella of the podcast. And we do those pre-recorded because we didn't want to do another live. And... Uh, but we go with the ethos that's very similar is we're not going to edit these. We're going to, you know, we might trim a beginning and so we got concise. We might, add, you know, bring a little bit of our concise thoughts at the very beginning as a teaser. But we, if it takes us more than a half an hour to do any kind of production work, we're, we don't want to do that. So we're just really trying to say, what's the great content we have? How do we get it out fast and quickly to people? 
um, and have it be good enough so that way then we can reach lots of people. And then, you know, your team comes in, Amy, and makes us look really good with, you know, lots of different pieces that feel much more polished than what we did live. Yeah, well, it's not hard to make it look good because it is good to begin with. So when we have quality (laughs) coming in, it's good to work with such high quality. Now, it's really interesting you say that. So, you know, I guess it it gets it on the diary completely. You know, you commit to that live stream. It's something regular. Consistency is something that, you know, can be such a struggle. So to have that live schedule. um, And like you said, then it's just one recording, you know, back and forward, back and forward. So again, another time saver. But I think something great that you said was that it's reaching different audiences as well. So you're reaching the people who like to attend a live stream. Um, In terms of that, in terms of reaching different audiences, you guys have you know a huge global audience and through the visual lounge you've got the people who will attend live and um, but then they can watch the recording after and um, but then you've got the the podcast so they could go and listen to it um the edited version on um, you know any apple podcast spotify etc and then you know there's then also blog post and the social content teasers and graphics and things like that so do you find that with all those different avenues of communicating what happened in the live, you are building different audiences in different places that might not necessarily, you know, that, that live stream listener might not necessarily ever see the blog post, but that's okay as long as people are seeing that message in the different places and the different formats. Yeah, I absolutely do think we've got different audiences that are, are tuning into different pieces of it um, because we know, you know, we do about 45 minute interviews, you know, depending on the day, depending on the, the, the guests, how it goes. Um, and, and not everyone has time to tune in at, at 2 p.m. Eastern Central or Eastern time, you know, to YouTube to watch this thing. People are busy um, and not everybody listens to podcasts. And, and sometimes people don't, they're like, I'm not interested in that topic, but then they can still get the, the snippets and the clips. And so we do definitely see that there are are different audiences in different places. They're consuming that information in different ways. Um, and they might change it up on their own, right? They might listen to, they might say like, oh, I really want to listen to that particular topic because that's really interesting to me. I'm going to listen to that as a podcast. But other times it might just be like, oh, I've got a free couple, few minutes. I'm going to turn, turn in or tune into this uh, live event because you know I want to see what they're talking about or I have a question about that. So it's it's definitely playing across those different audiences, which I think is really good because you know, we do have a big audience. We, we're very fortunate that for, with the audience that we have, but, you know, we know that even with things like if we were to email blast, not everyone's going to open the email. Not everyone's going to look at any one piece of it all the time. So we're, you know, we just want to make sure that if we have really good information, that's really useful. We're putting it in all those different channels. And it's, um, I think that's been really successful because again, I don't think people, everyone's going to, not everyone's going to listen to the podcast or watch the video because who's, we don't have time. And so the smaller chunks are really good. I, you know, I love skimming blog posts so people can go do that. And I think it just makes that valuable information much more accessible across the board. Yeah. And what do you consider when you are putting out content for the visual lounge? Is it mainly a B2B or B2C audience or a mixture of both? Yeah, I would say it's a, it's a mixture of both. I think if you're looking at kind of our audience, we're, we're, we really like the B2B audience in terms of like, we want, our tools help businesses primarily, right? You might have uh, individuals who are using them because they they find it valuable. And, you know, we hear the story all the time, especially about things like Snag it, like, oh, I loved it so much. I went home and bought, I had to buy it for myself at home, which is, which is awesome. And so, but inside of those businesses, we still see them as individuals because 
let's say we're talking we're talking a, a topic about creating training videos. We know in uh, you know multinational organizations or even small 120 person businesses or you know give or take a few people, they probably have someone who's creating training content. And yes, why we want that business to be aware of TechSmith, our products, the things that we do. The things that we're talking about are kind of at that individual level. We want them to be successful because that individual is going to make a video. That individual is going to take a screenshot. That individual is going to need to understand how do I communicate better with images, with my team, with my colleagues, with whoever. And so why I think ultimately working B2B, those B2C people are, you know, the individuals inside the organizations are really key. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I agree in terms of, you know, in the B2B world, people who especially work in L&D type functions, creating instructional videos, using your um, tech to help make that happen. Um, they're going to find the content just so, so useful and I can, you know, see them being core to the people who are going to really resonate with what you're putting out, which actually leads on to um, a question that, I was building up to asking you, which is about creating instructional videos, because I'm a big believer that the, the audience that we work with, often, often the um, clients that we work with or people interested in the book and the toolkit, quite often it's about building a personal brand. And I always say that you should be putting out, I think you should put one point of view, so one thought leadership type piece of content out once a week. Um, to really start becoming known for what you want to become known for. And if you're not creating videos that are similar to what we're recording today, so uh, guest type interviews, talking to people about their expertise, but actually putting out something for yourself that is more in a thought leadership capacity, that can be really daunting. That can be quite <laughs> quite scary to, well, what would I talk about? And just me, just me talking to camera or just me talking into the podcast. It's quite a scary um, thought. And so, Often I advise, you know, is there any kind of instructional content? So, and what kind of questions do you get asked all the time that you could start creating content, just demonstrating that expertise and providing instructional help, guide, guide and leadership towards that? How do you create, you know, instructional type videos? It's just an individual um, trying to help somebody else in an engaging way. So what would be your tips for, you know, engaging instructional videos? Because you are such an expert at doing that kind of thing well well thank you for that first of all let me and let me just say i think it's interesting that you you know I, if someone's making thought leadership content or they're trying to get known for something the, the the these things aren't so separate first of all the things that you want to be known on on the way you get known is you be helpful i think i really truly believe that be helpful help the people understand your point of view help them to understand how to in act whatever it is that you're teaching them you know if, if you're you know with you amy if you want people to learn how how powerful it is to repurpose content help people to do that right teach them that process teach them why they should do that so i think the first thing to think about in any instructional video is what is it that i can create that will actually help someone you know i, I and i say this a lot and I, I i hope i'm not over repeating it but you know it's interesting when we look at the kind of ecosphere of where we can put content yeah, Google is kind of the big place. Oh, we got to be ranked on Google. And then it's the biggest search engine. Of course, we need to be there. And then there's YouTube. Well, should we be on YouTube? Well, YouTube's the second biggest search engine. But I like to think of YouTube as really the biggest how-to engine, right? People are going there to be found. People are going there or going to find answers. And if you can provide those answers in that setting, that is so powerful. So the first thing is really answer the question for yourself. What is it that I can help 
teach someone? What can I share that will make someone more successful at the, in the space that I want to be known in? Because um, once you focus in on that, it's going to make everything else that you do with creating your tutorial video easier. So the next thing you're going to do is once you know this is what I want to do, who, who, who are you really talking to? You probably know that already, but you know, get your audience set and then start to say like, okay, this topic that I have and with this audience, what really needs to be shown or seen or said, and then start formulating that. And the secret to a good instructional video and really most videos is to cut, cut, cut. Take out all the fluff, take out all the extra stuff. We don't need to hear your life story. We don't need to hear about your grandma in Italy and how she came up with a recipe. If you're teaching cooking, what we need to know is what are the basic pieces? What are the steps or what is the information? You're, you know, I've got three things I want to talk about that relate to one topic. If you're trying to do four topics with 12 things each, you're going to fail. So you're going to really hone that down and make it as focused as possible. And from there, it's just, it's, you know, we don't have probably time to go into really creating good instruction in general, but think about what's worked for you. What, what have you enjoyed watching? What have you found helpful? You know, what are the, you know, again, and as you're keeping it focused, what are the pieces of information that you can give that are going to be really valuable um, without getting too deep? without getting kind of off in the tangents and the sidebars and all the different things. You just want to keep it really focused and, and, and make that video. Now, you know, Amy, I think you'd mentioned whether, you know, should I be on camera? Should I do? Here's, here's the truth. It doesn't really matter that much. Now there's a reason why as a, if you're doing thought leadership, if you will, why you want to be on camera, like I want to establish a relationship with you as the audience. I want you to know me you know, uh, that you see me, you hear my voice, you understand that I am the person that helped you because that's going to build brand credibility. But then what you show is make sure you're showing stuff that relates to answering those questions, solving the problems or giving the information. And that could be just you on camera, but you know, too much of that probably gets boring. So maybe you use some screen capture, you know, show things that are on your screen. If you're teaching a technical topic or software or something like that, Cool, but screen capture could also include like a PowerPoint deck. Now, don't just make a normal PowerPoint deck and say that's good. It should be engaging. You want some movement. You want some motion. Um, the next thing is if it's you can involve maybe some story or some stock footage to help you keep things moving. That's that's going to be good too. It, it, there's so many variables here. It's really hard to to narrow in on like oh just do X Y and Z because it's going to be depending on your message, the style that you want to present. But I think. Key thing is know your audience, know your topic, really focus on the one thing. If you're focusing on two things, three things, four things in that video, you're going to fail. And then just make something that's going to be compelling to watch. Like look at it and say, would I want to watch this? Is this really answering the question? Is it really helping them? If you can check those boxes, you're off to a good start. However, you know, you can just do a selfie video. If, if that's interesting, like it used to be so like, oh, don't ever do vertical selfie videos. But you know, you're gonna be on Instagram, Facebook, uh, TikTok, wherever. We just see so many opportunities there. The the limit you're limited by your creativity, time, um, budget. But you can be very simple and make very effective uh, creative content. And there's so many good examples out there right now.
So what, that's a, a question I was going to ask you, actually. So in terms of really good examples out there, um, aside from going and looking at your examples and all the videos that you do, um, what, who inspires you and what other good examples would you point people to and um, for looking at best practice type uh, videos? I'm probably going to get myself in trouble here because uh, I don't go and look at uh, like uh, formal instructional videos. I, I actually really enjoy looking at YouTube as a source of that, again, that how-to engine, right? Because here's 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 kind of my take on it. We've had uh, a number of years of YouTube now where, you know, it's getting in its ripe old age of like 15 or whatever. And when people, some of these folks on YouTube start off, it was, they were just making bad videos. You know, it didn't look good. It wasn't great quality. They didn't know what they were doing. And they worked for 10 years or more making better videos. And they've gotten really good at making good looking videos. Along the way, something really interesting to me at least happened is they, they realized the same thing we're talking about today, that help content, being helpful, making tutorial content, that gets a lot of traction. And so not only have they gotten good about making really good looking videos, they've gotten good about making good how-to videos. And they're, and they're not you know, they're not following the kind of the instructional model processes. They're not worried about the academic of things that, you know, research is looking at saying, well, this, we don't want this. They probably break some rules, like, like just not intentionally. They just don't know, but it works. And they've been becoming very effective at creating those videos. So, you know, you've got creators like uh, Sean Canal, you've got um, Nick Nimmons, you've got... Uh, I mean, this is a, a laundry list of folks. You can go check out their stuff. Uh, uh, Owen Video, he, that's the, his last name is not really video, but that's what it goes by. Owen Video's out there making good tutorial videos. Like these creators who have been successful at getting 50,000, 100,000, even 500,000 to a million subscribers, they put in the time to learn how to make good instructional videos. Now, the one caveat here is, you, here's a danger. You go look at those and you say, I can never do that. I can't, I can't make their videos. My videos don't look like their videos, but that's not the idea is go learn about like, go watch and see what they did well. And just say, pick one thing, say like, you know what? I really liked how they had an active, they changed shots a lot, or I really like that it felt very personal, or I, I really like that they showed me the, the device or whatever it is you're trying to do. And just try to do that one thing well. And then the next video you'll make, try to get a little bit better and a little bit better. And then eventually you can add these things in. Because remember, where they started and where they are is so far apart that you can't just jump to where they started usually. Not without some budget, some time to really learn unless you've studied film for a while. But you can start, it's okay to start over here and learn from their journey, learn from what they're doing now. And you'll be surprised at how fast I think you can leap forward in, in your own skills and production. Yeah, and I think the the examples that you gave it was um, Sean, uh, Nick, and Owen, wasn't it? They're all because they teach people how to create great YouTube videos, and they're YouTube experts. They're great people to look at because um, not only are they demonstrating in their own videos what to do, what you learn, <laughs> you learn at the same time because that's what they're teaching as well. Hey, just a little break from this podcast episode to ask you a question. Would you like one single place that you can go to that provides you with everything you need to be able to implement the best practices in content repurposing for your video content, your podcast episodes, and your social media content today? To help you get more value from the content that you create, get more time back, and help you reach more people than you ever thought possible. 
If so, then you are going to love the Content 10X Toolkit. The toolkit is full of video tutorials, templates, checklists, swipe files, step-by-step -step guides and more that shows you how to repurpose your content in the best ways possible today. No more Googling, no more figuring it out yourself. We provide you with everything that you need to become a content repurposing pro. If this sounds like something that would interest you, then go check out the Content 10X Toolkit at content10x.com forward slash toolkit. Okay, I'm back to this week's episode. I think um, you made a good point in terms of, though, don't study every single aspect of what you like and try and deploy every single aspect into your videos in once at once. And I kind of see it like the analogy of um, if you're training to run a marathon, you don't just leave the house on day one of training and run a 20 or whatever it's 26 miles or something do you you'll do you'll you'll run like a few miles and and then get the stamina to then add an extra mile on and then get the stamina to add an extra mile on and in time you will eventually end up running that marathon and it's the same isn't it you just you decide the point at which you're going to I've just done 10k I'm going to two weeks I'm going to go for 12k then and do it that way um because if you try and do everything I think um it can become demotivating can't it because you don't nail everything in one go you have to nail things <laughs> one step at a time which comes on to my next question which is um for just starting out creating videos what would you recommend in terms of firstly equipment what kind of gear would be a good uh, starter to just get going without having you know too much of a hugely professional setup in the early stages yeah before before i go over kind of the the setup i just want to mention one thing that to your analogy about the marathon is i think is really important i actually did my very first live stream so speaking about doing like these things in 2010 when no one was live streaming, right? Like we actually had a show at TechSmith called it The Forge that we were doing this. And so then it fizzled out because it was, you know, it wasn't my day job. It wasn't my primary focus. I was a manager of some teams. And, but like, even for me, that marathon, like I learned skills a long time ago that when we said, hey, we're going to do this, it was like kind of getting back on the bicycle and learning how to ride again it wasn't as hard because I had done these things. And so I think it's a really apt analogy that, you know, you're going to bring in these other kind of um, skill sets and other things that you've learned and apply them, but don't, don't go run the marathon the first day because you won't make it, you know, like you'll be disappointed. And in terms of gear though. Um, so I, there's so much about gear. There's, I, there's kind of an order of operations here. I'd say most people want to jump into like the fancy gear, lights and cameras and cool stuff that they can do. The, the really the first thing, I don't care what device you use. You can use your computer to record your webcam. That's fine. It's not the greatest, but it will work. You can record your screen. You can use your smartphone. But the first thing, if you're going to invest anything, go get a microphone. It can be like the microphone Amy has. I have a microphone that's up here. It's called a shotgun microphone that's pointing down. Invest, you know, US dollars, $100, $150. So that's probably, you know, probably a 100 to 200 pound if you're in the UK. A, a, an external microphone will make all the difference. We have research from TechSmith that we looked at viewer preferences. And one of the major reasons people will stop watching video is if the audio is bad. If audio quality isn't good, people will turn it off. It doesn't matter if the content is good. It doesn't matter if it's important. They don't want to try to listen through that. It can be shaky. It can be poor quality, but audio has got to be good. The next thing, if you're going to get have some more money, lying around that you can invest. The next thing I would say is add lights. Don't jump to camera yet. Camera's a whole other beast, 
but you know, you can get lights again, fairly inexpensively, probably a few hundred dollars, a few hundred pounds, depending on what you want. Um, I have like two light panels that shine on me and, you know, I think I spent $250 on them. They, I can control the color of them. I can dim them and make them brighter. Uh, it, it just, it, what the light's going to do is whatever camera you have is going to make it look better. So even if you're using a webcam, uh, having those addition, that additional light is, is really important because that webcam has a small sensor and that small sensor is taking in all the light that it can. And if it doesn't have enough, it's going to look dark. It's going to look grainy. So if you've seen your picture not look great before, it's maybe you don't have enough light. Um, and it's, you want something controllable. Like I've got a really great window next to me. If I open up the window, I can let in a lot of light, but I can't control it. I can't control where it's shining very well. I can't control if it, a cloud moves in front of the sun or if it's just always perpetually cloudy like it has felt for the last few months. Um, and so lighting is, is the second thing. The third thing, if you're still, you still want to keep going is now, and you've got money, and this is probably the biggest investment is you can start looking at cameras or you could decide never to use a camera and just use screen capture software. You know, I'm very biased in that sense because we do that a lot because of the tools that we make, but it's a, it's a good alternative. But if you're going to do a camera, you know, if you move from your webcam built into your computer, smartphones are really good. I mean, we're working with technology that is better than a film camera was, you know, 20, 30 years ago. Um, but again, it needs light. It needs to be steadied. It, you know, there's things that you need to do to make that look good. I know Apple's done a lot. I know Android has done a lot too, to make sure you can get really good quality. Um, but if you want to spend a thousand dollars or more, you can go to DSLR. Um, and so it just kind of depends on your comfort level. Now, with each step up of progression of any of these things, it's going to be like, well, how complicated do you want to make it? Because DSLRs, all of a sudden you're dealing with more functionality, which is really powerful, but you have to understand like, okay, is it going to be in focus? Is it going to, is it going to track my, my face in focus? Is it, you know, what's the white balance? What's the shutter speed? What are all of these pieces that if you're new to video and you're just trying to figure that out, it's a lot. I, I have a DSLR camera based on all the work that I do, it felt like it was a good investment. And I spent probably a good week just tweaking settings. And now I just don't touch it. Like, and I'm like, I'm just not going to touch anything because I don't want it to get out. It's where I like it. I want it to work the way it works. But um, so those are the things kind of where you can get started. Again, keep it simple. Make simple videos. Don't try to get super fancy or complicated. There's a lot you can do if you um, are just thoughtful like even a one camera setup, right? Like I can, I can, I, we won't show this cause it's a podcast, but if I change the angle of the camera, I, I can do different types of looks and feel. I can move the camera closer or further, depending on what I'm trying to do. Maybe even do the same thing twice. Uh, the exact same words, if it's a, a, something I've scripted out and then I can cut between them. Like there's lots you can do with uh, very little, but uh, you just have to kind of think through what's most valuable. And then I really recommend you grow into it rather than trying to kind of swallow the whole pill at once yeah I completely agree with you and the point that you made that you know the order um and audio being the most important of getting the mic right 100 percent. because a number of times that I have 
stopped listening or watching something because of the audio. It, it doesn't matter how good I know it's going to be because it's too frustrating. Um, and just such a wonderful point that go to the lighting before you jump to the camera because we're fortunate to live in a time where the cameras on our smartphones are, are so good that you, you know get the lighting right before you invest in the camera. Um, the, once you've done the recording, you know, we talked quite a bit about the edit then so especially when you were saying instructionals keep them you know short choppy make sure they stay to the point it's it's in the edit and you mentioned then you know record a few times and then edit out the the um the bits that you don't want to keep so what software or you know this is obviously a great question for you at TechSmith of course but I'd, I'd just like you to explain you know what would you you know recommend you know from especially from you know TechSmith's um point of view and what you put out there what what would be the software that would be great for that edit and um and that way of just getting started let's assume somebody is is in that early stages what would you recommend yeah i mean it's it's i i probably would not have a job if i didn't recommend camtasia <laughs> as, as a tool um I, I, but pragmatically speaking right um i i think camtasia is very easy it allows you to do the screen recording and I, you know i actually uh, i have used a lot of other tools and i used to really heavily favor like uh, adobe premiere which is a very heavy fully loaded software suite that you could do so much. And, and frankly, I've just moved away from it because one, I would use like 2%, 3% of it. And I can do the same thing in Camtasia. Um, there's a few small things I can't do that I might go over there every once in a while, but ultimately you want to use a tool that you're going to use, that you want to use, and it's going to do the job that you need it to do. You know, if you're doing a something that has tons of production work, lots of edits, lots of extra footage, and you need to like manage multiple pieces, and you're going to color correct, and you're going to do, you know, audio sweetening and all these pieces because you want it to look like it's ready for television or film. You know, Camtasia is probably not your tool, but like Premiere might be. But there's other tools that are intermediate that I, you know, uh, my my boss is always cringe when I talk about. But like, you know, if you're in the Adobe suite already and you have a creative license you can do like Adobe Rush. It's a very simple editor. I find it to be a little bit limited. Um, if budget's a concern, you're like, I have no money to spend. There are free video editing tools out there. Some of them, one of them is uh, very powerful and it's, it's complex. Like you're trading kind of the ability of ease for free, um, but it's DaVinci Resolve, right? You can do these tools and they work well um, for my purposes because I'm creating instructional videos. I'm not you know, trying to make high-end television quality, Hollywood quality videos, uh, Camtasia does all the things that I need it to do. And again, it's very simple and easy, um, but that's not the only tool you're gonna need, right? Like you're gonna need uh, some other tool to make thumbnails or you're gonna need other tools to help you create the other pieces and assets. You might, you know, wanna bring in images if you're creating a slideshow that you're recording or you just wanna add some, what we call B-roll, secondary footage that is, um, helping them tell the story to show, you know, you might need a tool to help you make those graphics or, you know, you're going to need a stock, some stock uh, video or stock photography that you, you're going to grab. And there's lots of places you can do this for free. There's lots of paid places. There's no, there's no shortage of stock footage out there, um, but it's finding the right things and just knowing how that's going to play with the tool that you have. So um, I hope that's, I hope that's a helpful answer. Like, I think that the challenge is there's just so many potential options, but for me, for my company, we use Camtasia because we make it, um, and you know, it's uh, it, it just works really well for our purposes and needs. 
And if anybody decides that they will go to Camtasia too, then they have the joy of seeing all of your uh, training videos in the certification program in the academy and things like that on how to use Camtasia as well. So that's an added bonus there too. Um, well, yeah. like we said earlier, we you know if you want to be known for something, try to make yeah. it easy for people, try to help them. And that's what we've really tried to do. There's so much content. Uh, it's amazing how much you can go and learn without ever, you know, actually ever touching this, the software, but there's, you know, we, we also try to provide those other areas, as you said, like, we know it's not just about using Camtasia, the tool. What about writing a script? How do you, how do you storyboard? How do you light your video? How do you get good audio? And if you're in an environment that's not set up for audio and we have tutorials like those, that's what the Academy is about. We want to help our customers and really everyone get better at making these images and videos. Yeah. And, you know, there's so many benefits to video content. And, you know, obviously we both are huge fans and that's what we share a lot with our audience all about video content. But we're not saying that it's easy as well as you can, you know, just listening to this conversation. It's not just a case of deciding overnight that you're going to embrace video content and away you go. That there are There is a lot involved in it, but anything worth doing that gets the kind of results that you get from video content and video marketing, it's not going to be, you know, there's, you put the work in, don't you? And you do have to, there's new things that you need to learn. You will have to invest along the way, your time, your skills, your attention um, and all of that. But the benefits can be you know, so far reaching. And as, as you mentioned, just from, for example, videos on YouTube being a search engine, you know, you will reach people again and again and again if you're providing help there. But then you can put your videos on your website, on social media, you can repurpose. And it all comes back, circling back to the start of the conversation of, you know, when, when we first met each other, you were investing in a new content strategy with the visual lounge, new ways to connect with people and more content right at the start of the pandemic. And you wanted to make the most out of it. You put a lot of time and effort into it, don't you? So um, there's the opportunity to make so much out of video content because there's so many dimensions to it. The visual aspect, the audio aspect too, you know, you can turn that into different content. You can write about it. But if you start with video and live, as you do, like start at the top of the pyramid, I would always consider like live the mm -hmm. top, everything else thereafter, it's just there's such a big return on investment overall, isn't there, with video content as a strategy? Yeah, I mean, I, and I, I love what you said, right? Like you started at the top of the pyramid and it kind of just cascades down. I know we had an internal email that went around and it was just kind of a recap of like, I think we, we work in these kind of increments of 10 weeks and uh, it was kind of like, here's what was produced in the last 10 weeks and the amount of content that was tied to that top of that pyramid with the visual lounge was incredible. Like the number of, you know, you, first of all, you got all your videos. So there's 10 videos over 10 weeks. And from those 10 videos came 10 edited videos. So there's the live videos and edited videos and 10, po then 10 podcast episodes, 10 blog posts. And then from each of those, there's probably uh, two, three, four, five different pieces of social media. It, it's like this kind of this exponential waterfall that's just filling the pool. And, you know, you, you I look at what our, our, we have a team dedicated to, you know, content and they're creating, you know, blog posts and social media content, all this other stuff. And, and they're just like, this is amazing because it's allowing them to focus on really meaty, challenging, longer kind of content that is also really helpful because we're just, 
we're able to take one piece of content that's done every week and just pour it out there. So it's, it's, I think you're absolutely right. You know, you've got so many layers of content inside of that video that it's, it's amazingly productive. And, and then, I mean, to be fair, we, you know, leverage Amy and your team to, to do this with content and X, but that, that is so worth it to us because it's allowing us to be able to focus on the things that we're really good at. You know, we're really good at getting this content and our content team's really good about talking about these other things that, you know, may not make sense as a video in an hour. It's like we, we just published, I'm trying to remember the topic of it, but it's like creating marketing videos and it's a whole guide. And it's like, I don't know, like a 10,000 word blog post that is just chucked full of amazing information. But if we didn't have this other content, we couldn't focus on, on that. No, exactly. Yeah. And it just allows you to focus on where you need to focus for each type of message, doesn't it? And, and make sure that you are um, putting the right effort in the right places and, and thinking about the audience and how would be the best way for them to consume this. So um, yeah, it's such a good strategy and such a good approach. Um, I've loved talking to you, Matt. I could talk to you for ages. And when you mentioned that you started live streaming in 2010, I mean, well, I think there's, a, there's, a, there's an episode two, I think, to follow up on just your journey of 2010 to, to to today god like what is it 20 2021 now it's like it's just mental isn't it is it 2021 i thought yeah, it was like 2028 20, or nine or something it feels like we've been doing this for last year for seven so it does doesn't it yeah like how many years passed by in the last year god um but um i'm very conscious of time and the fact that i think we will have to wrap up but um the final question really is just um if you can go back to when you were started creating live streams, I know things were different then because it's not as um, it wasn't as accessible, I'm sure, back in 2010. But what would you say would be your advice to your former self if you if back then if you were a bit apprehensive about the whole live aspect that really helped you embrace it and made sure that you are still doing it today? Yeah, I, I, that's a really great question because I've, I, I've actually reflected a lot on, I mean, first of all, how fortuitous I was to be able to have those experiences, but we did a lot of things wrong. Like we, we only went live once a month. We took our summers off. Like it was very like, like, so we're doing like nine episodes a year and it was very far in between and it's hard to build a followership. And I think the advice I'd give, go back and give myself is stick with it and up the frequency. Yes. It's hard to see the value. It was hard to see the value. That's one of the reasons like, oh, in 2012, I think we stopped in 2013 because it was like, we, but we weren't doing it well. Like we were doing it too infrequent and taking, but, but here's the thing. I wouldn't trade that experience for anything because it has led me to learn some skills and understand things that I was in. I was ready to go in 2020. Like I'd been rearing to go. I'd been waiting to bring it back. Um, and so I would just tell my... I, former self like hey stick with it yes you're not doing everything perfect things don't look the way that you want it it's you know not gaining the traction as fast as you think it should but if you just stick with it i think we'd be even in a much better position than we are today we're in a good position now but i think the lessons would have been even more compounded we would have had more opportunities to grow followership and i think it would have been it would have been pretty cool to to have that kind of thread through but you know that's life can't can't really change it <laughs> no consistency don't be sporadic then be uh be consistent with the content oh that's wonderful advice thank you <laughs> so um where would you like people to go um if they want to connect with you what's the best place um for connecting 
Yeah, if you want to connect with me personally, uh, Pierce MR, that's P-I-E-R-C-E-M-R on Twitter, or you can find Matthew R. Pierce on LinkedIn. Just look for Matt Pierce TechSmith. But where I really want people to go, if you, if you can't connect with me necessarily directly, but go to academy.techsmith.com, our free learning platform. Everything out there is free. We've got some really great interviews with people. We've got great tutorials about creating video, and it's not product specific. So even if you're not using TechSmith tools, you will learn something about creating better video. We can guarantee it. Absolutely. Okay. Well, we will put the links to all of that in the show notes. So thank you so much for coming on. It's been great to speak to you, Matt. Thanks, Amy. I really appreciate it. Okay, so I hope you enjoyed that discussion and thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoy the content 10x podcast, then why not hit that subscribe button on your podcast listening app of choice so that you can get updated when new episodes are released. And I'd really, really appreciate it if you could leave a review as well. That really makes a difference for the podcast. Also, please do get a copy of my book, Content 10x, more content, less time, maximum results. It is the ultimate guide to repurposing every type of content and it's available on Amazon in Kindle and paperback and also in audiobook as well and you can head to content10x.com forward slash book to find all the other places that you can get a copy of my book and if you would like us to do your content repurposing for you then we offer a fully end-to-end done for you content repurposing service this is for podcasters and video content creators we have our podcast 10x video 10x and also our specific LinkedIn 10x service helping you to become the leading authority in your industry on LinkedIn. You can find out so much more about our services on our website and also please do give me a follow on the social media platforms. I share lots and lots of tips and advice on social media about content repurposing. I'm at content 10x on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. And if you try content10x.com forward slash LinkedIn, you'll find my LinkedIn profile over there as well. All that's left to say is thank you so much for listening to this week's episode and I'll catch you in the next one.